0: Because it's all about knocking on doors and I think from a creative point of view, I think it's really important to connect with people and a lot of people say, well, where does your creativity come from and and how do you develop that with your clients? And ultimately, you've got to knock down the door, hassle and hustle until the door opens basically. Hey, welcome to
1: the Lady Brains podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Judd and Anna McKenzie, co-founders of Lady Brains, a digital and IRL club for female founders and founders to be. If you're smart, savvy, and ambitious, then Lady Brain, you are in the right
2: place. Get ready for a dose of inspo, hard hitting truths, and actionable insights. Strap in!
1: How do you make a name for yourself as a young, ambitious creative? Our guest is Paris Thompson, founder of video production studio Serap. Serap exists to solve creative and communication challenges for their clients through the power of moving imagery. And their client list is really impressive. They work with brands like Lexus, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, The Design Files, David Jones, and so many more. Paris started the business at the ripe old age of 24, and she quickly learned that hustling and hustling was a successful way to open doors as well as establishing strong and meaningful relationships. She's a great example of someone who has taken a creative passion, videography, and turned it into a commercially successful business. And as you may expect, she's also a brilliant storyteller. We hope you enjoy this chat.
2: Okay, so Paris, you started your creative agency at the age of 24. And I think back to where we were at 24. We were in Europe. We were like (laughs) down the pub. We were at college. But you were starting a business at that time. Who was Paris when she was 24? Where were you? What were you doing?
0: Oh, Paris was a bit of a mess, to be honest. (laughs) Paris was trudging through music festivals in Doc Martens with a camera in one hand and a tinny in another on some weekends. And then, you know, other times was trying to figure out how on earth I was going to continue to drive you know, this passion that I had and, and this idea that I had of amazing video content, but how on earth was I going to do it for brands that I really aspired to work for? And especially when video wasn't huge back then either, wasn't really much of a thing. So back then I was kind of at the tail end of uni. I was working at Network 10 as well in production across a few shows like Before the Game and the 7pm Project. I basically threw myself into, you know, any and every opportunity that I could. I was also doing some writing for Beat Magazine, for Street Press publication, and I started shooting Fashion Week events and anything that I could, you know, just uh, dive into, basically. And one thing led to another, and, you know, I, I really understood... Uh, or I came to this realization that I was really passionate about this concept of marrying creativity and commerce, but not wanting to do it in this way that was a, a I guess, quite an overt and aggressive TVC style, you know, traditional type of advertising. But more about harnessing the art of the subtle sell. That's what that's what we refer to it now at Syrup. Really about storytelling and. I basically got to a point where I was starting to freelance here and there. I was doing that job at Network 10. I was also working at General Pants, you know, flinging denim and selling clothes, (laughs) you know, a bit of a side hustle on the weekend as well. And got to a point where I thought, right, I've got to just focus all my energy into this if I really want to give it a red hot crack. I've got to just funnel everything into it. And, you know, at the time I was also still living at home. So I had like no overheads. It wasn't no, no real risk. I started getting on the phones. You know, I started calling marketing directors from brands that I wanted to work for and just said, Hey, you've never met me before. I'm Paris Thompson. You know, I'm a videographer. Have you ever considered integrating video content into your marketing strategy? And oftentimes the response was, Oh, yeah, look, you know, we know we really need to explore video, but it's too expensive and we just don't really know how to do it yet. And it was really through a few opportunities that landed, and one thing led to another. And I started to realize that there was, you know, a really exciting opportunity here and stopped going to so many music festivals <laughs> and, and started actually shooting a bit more myself and, and trying to navigate my way through a bit of a, a plan, I guess, for the business.
2: Sounds like you're a bit of a creative slushy, like somebody who had a lot of different creative passions Mm. and little jobs and little side hustles. Did you have other people in your sphere, friends, people that you looked up to that had kind of done what you were trying to do? Creative people who'd kind of taken that skill set and all these different interests and funneled it into
0: a business? Look, it was a bit of a funny one in the sense that because I was... Quite young as well. A lot of the the people around me were of similar ages, maybe a little bit older. So we're all on this journey together of discovery and excitement. And and some were, you know, there are a few photographers that were, you know, also emerging and and really excited to try to make a name for themselves as well. I grew up in a family with entrepreneurial parents. So I grew up in this kind of dynamic environment where I saw mum and dad doing the work. I, you know, I didn't have that kind of nine to five mum and dad come home type thing and I was often you know dragged to meetings with them through school holidays or whatever it was so I guess I grew up with a bit of an understanding of what's involved to do your own thing and to I guess realize your own your own dream and create your own pathway and then as a uh, I guess a beautiful series of events unfolded at one stage I I was actually I was on on set shooting for Harry Kuehl, who's that soccer player who's played for Australia. And it was something for, I think it was for new idea or publication. It was, you know, this fluffy lifestyle story. And I came along and shot some beautiful B-roll, you know, video content. And it was shot at this beautiful house. And I got talking to the homeowner who went down the street, came back and said, Oh my god. You're Paris Thompson. I know you. I know I know your parents or something like that <laughs> and I thought oh my god this is pretty hysterical. Anyway, you know, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Small world Melbourne type mm-hmm. stuff. And look, one thing led to another and we started talking about architecture and you know, her beautiful home and she said, "Look, do you know the design files?" I said, "Yeah." Lucy's running a story on our home actually in the next few weeks. I'm really interested in video content. Do You want to, you know, collaborate together and do you want to shoot the home and I can just speak to Lucy and see if she's interested in publishing it. And I thought, oh, sure, you know. Like I didn't really think that much of it, but you know, great opportunity. I loved the home. I wanted to shoot something beautiful. And so a week later, I went, went along and gorgeous Fiona Richardson, who's a friend of mine and who is the homeowner, friend now, we shot the home and I cut it together, you know, on mum's dining room table, like <laughs> oh, editing <do> <laughs> editing on the old uh, little laptop. And she sent it to Luce. Luce replied and said, oh, look, this is amazing. We've wanted to integrate video content. Mm. We haven't known how. We haven't known what kind of style and handwriting we've wanted to create. So Luce said, hey, Paris, do you want to grab a coffee? So we did. And that was it really. It was history. And, and we established a partnership together. And you know, for many years until now, we've we've produced a lot of video content together and, and she's turned into one of my closest friends. And therein lies a lesson, always take, take the, the meeting.
2: meeting. <laughs> yeah. And always be open to a
0: conversation, you know, Absolutely. like you just
2: never know. Even conversations that don't you don't necessarily think there's an opportunity there
0: or you just never know. Absolutely. You just never know the power of the network. And, you know, I think when you're younger, you often think, oh, you know, it's easy to dismiss people and, and opportunities and. And perhaps you get a little, I don't know, maybe there's a bit of an ego thing that Mm. goes on through early 20s and partying and that kind of thing. You think, oh, you know, how are they going to help me or what's really going to manifest out of that? But I think you've just got to yeah, keep your eyes open and just be respectful as well. Like Mm. you just never know where one one person might know another. And, you know, it's the same old story. We all know it. Doors open magically.
1: Yep. Absolutely
0: yeah, so we had Lucy on the podcast
1: not too long ago. Yeah. You know we are huge fans of the design files and been and have been following along that blog for quite a while and It's so nice to know that you were the one that really integrated video into the platform because I could see that transition happening from just you know still's imagery to video. Where do you source your inspiration? like how did you know that that was going to be something that would? blow up and all brands right now
0: obviously exploring and integrating video into their marketing campaigns? Without fear of sounding, I guess, cliche, travel's always a big one. But for me, it's always about putting myself in different scenarios and also getting uncomfortable. I think it's really important. And, and when I get uncomfortable, whether it be do something that I don't think I'm necessarily going to be amazing at or meet someone who I might you know, really admire, who I, you know, feel a little bit vulnerable around or even, you know, create something that I think is, you know, maybe has legs as an idea but isn't necessarily the strongest piece of work per se. I learn a lot about myself and I grow and I think, you know, that really inspires me to push myself further, but I think, you know, on more of a visual level, it's it's always, you know, visiting galleries, speaking to different artists, the travel thing, you know, the different smells and the sights and the textures and the languages and so... That's certainly something that I found probably like a lot of people, you know, through the last few years, really difficult. So you know, a lot of scrolling through Pinterest and Instagram mm-hmm. and watching of movies, and yeah, the from a visual and a creative point of view, travel is is a really big thing, and and also just surrounding surrounding myself with people who who are. You know, come from different industries and and can impart different perspectives as well. Probably more from a business point of view. You know, I learn a lot mm. from talking to a lot of different people who are building their own businesses, but you know, might be in manufacturing or something completely different to what we're in. Mm. Yeah.
2: yeah, I definitely get the sense that you're a networker, a bit <laughs> of like a mover and shaker. I mean, even though even in that example, you were sort of saying, you know, you've built your business through. Seeking out mentorship with different sorts of people, you've built your client base through, you know, your network and your connections and your referrals. Is that how you see yourself as a bit of a
0: mover, mover and shaker? Oh, I think you've got to be. I yeah. think absolutely. You've. I used to joke with the team, you know, kind of hassle and hustle. You know, not ha- <laughs> hassle God. and hustle.
1: I love that. Oh. Yeah, Has- writing
0: that down. Yeah, <laughs> hassle and hustle. You know, until you can until the door opens, basically, yes. because it's all about knocking on doors. And I think, from a creative point of view, I think it's really important to connect with people and. Mm-hmm you know, it's something that a lot of people say, well, where does your creativity come from and and how do you develop that with your clients? And, Ultimately, you've got to knock down the door first, you've got to connect with people. I'm such a big believer in that. like get off Zoom and get face to face and then start to really connect with them and understand you know who they are, who their brand is, and what the opportunity is and and you know develop it further from there. But yeah, I mean, absolutely, I think you've got to pick up the phone. I'm not shy of a cold call, and I'm certainly not afraid of putting myself out there. I just think, What have you got to lose, you know? You just never know what might present. So who's the hardest door that you've had to knock down? Oh, that's a tricky one. The... I would say it's a, it's really difficult to pinpoint because they come in all sorts of shapes and forms. You know, the mm-hmm. small doors, big doors, different coloured doors. But one of the opportunities that I'm really proud of is probably one that was quite unique and that we hadn't really explored before was the opportunity that we landed with Visit Victoria. And that actually came from connecting with someone who... Introduced us to someone at Visit Vic, and then you know a few months later we had an opportunity to pitch to tender for the account as a creative agency. So I guess it was a bit of a subtle door knock that was really unique for us because we hadn't done a lot in the government space, and it's a completely different world mm. and a completely different process. And you know we had to present to the board. There are a number of different uh, rounds of presentations and. It was, you know, a huge piece of work and a huge campaign that ultimately impacted our state and at a really difficult time when we were bleeding. So there was a lot of responsibility and I I guess I had a really unique relationship in the way in which that came about and, and, and that piece of work presented because it wasn't necessarily, you know, working with, say, a particular brand that's in the luxury or design space, which we've done a lot of, but it was a piece of work that ultimately connected, you know, a lot of Victorians back to their state. And, you know, I'm incredibly proud of how that reinvigorated our economy and, and what it did. But yeah, that process I learned a lot through, just through that kind of hustle and, and pitching process. And, you know, since then, we've also managed to, to win some other opportunities with other government bodies too, which has just been amazing from a, a breadth of folio and, and creative opportunity process as well. Absolutely. And what's been one of the shiniest, most exciting doors that you've knocked down? Look, I think, again, bringing it back to travel, but I think, you know, anything in Europe's pretty shiny, right? <laughs> I, I think so anyway. So we've shot in Venice a few times for Biennale. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, doesn't, that? Doesn't sound too bad just bobbing around on boats, you know. <laughs> I
2: read somewhere, I think, I might have even been Lucy from the Design Files, an article about you and she was quoted and she said, Paris will do anything to get the shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: I can just of picture what, you in like wh- a, yeah. What have you done? Hanging off a bridge. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I'm all about, um, you know, just beg for forgiveness and don't ask permission. Just yep, get, the shot, first, yeah, get yeah, the shot first. Get the shot first and then we can figure the logistics out later. I mean, it's been a bit different now as we've grown and, you know, obviously different approach to production, not as guerrilla as we, we used to be. <laughs> but yeah, Venice and parts of Europe that we've shot through have been pretty amazing. We shot in Venice a few years ago alongside the Venice Architecture Biennale for a client of ours, Brickworks, and they were a major partner of the Australian Pavilion over there. So we went over there. It was probably as glam as you as you would imagine, albeit you know forty degrees and lots of sweat dripping down backs and everything else. filmmaking isn't really that glam when you kind of roll up the sleeves and get into it. So, yeah, there was, you know, spritzing in between shots and yeah, lots of getting on the water and but then at the at the back end of it all, I mean, we were up. I had a it was myself and and one of our shooters and we ended up working through the night because we had a deadline that we had to meet. It was getting approved by the Australian office the next day to get well, overnight to get pushed out the next day. So, we would shoot all day Spritz and edit and, uh, get it across for deadline and rinse and repeat, really. But, you know, those opportunities are pretty incredible mm. just to be able to, again, you know, capture the essence of a place and and really have the opportunity to convey an element of a different culture. Mm. I just love that. Sounds like heaven. It does sound heaven. Makes me want to go travelling again. Oh, I
1: no. know. I know. Oh, no. We will. So, we we will. will. We will. We will. For sure. So you've
2: obviously done a lot of pitching, a lot of pitching to different sorts of clients. And I guess in the early days, you have to initiate everything because, you Mm -hmm. know, you don't have a name for yourself yet. Business maybe not coming into you, but you've got to go and initiate everything, which can be a tiring process. What are some of the things that you've learned about kind of pitching to clients over the years and how do you do it differently
0: now compared to 24-year-old Paris? (laughs) Oh gosh, 24-year-old Paris would have probably rocked up with hopefully a few examples of some video content that would pull together that may or may not be, you know, uh, uh, reflective of the prospective clients, uh, you (laughs) know, positioning (laughs) or otherwise. But look, you know, I think as we've, as I've gotten older and as the business has grown, naturally our folio has broadened and strengthened as well. So it always helps when you've got beautiful work that you can fall back on and that you can also use as ex- examples. The approach now, I think preparation is always key. Like people are busy, you know, don't come unprepared and do your research as well, but also don't get too formal. Like it just, it, for, a lot of the time for me, the pitching is really best done over a wine, you know, Love like pour the wine, let's have a chat, talk to me. How can we help? You know, where are you at at the moment with video content and is there any opportunity? And, and if it's the right environment, I'll show some of our work and, you know, the conversation will continue from there. And I always want to try to meet as many of the team as I can. You know, if it's a client that I feel like there is a, you know, a real opportunity for us to partner with, not just as a one-off project, but that we can work with developing all of their bigger campaign work. But then maybe there's opportunity to produce more snappy social content. I want to get the the full picture. So I'll invest the time to, you know, actually meet with their marketing team and say, look, I know I know we're just the video guys, but it's really hard helpful for us to really understand the bigger picture of your marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. How does this video content interact with your other assets? What role do you expect it to play? How can we look to best strategize the production of it and also get you guys bang for buck as well? Because a lot of the time, although we have really great briefs written for us and we're so grateful for that with a client actually doing the work to, to step it all out, a lot of the time a lot of clients don't necessarily understand certain efficiencies that could be built in if we're you know, doing a larger scale project with them, as opposed to just this one-off brief that they've given us. There's all sorts of of things, but yeah, I think um, it it depends on the nature of the client. But wine is always a good start, <laughs> <laughs> an icebreaker. We used to say, yeah,
1: always have a – We used to even do these interviews we over did. wine. Now we we're in did. a studio; it's a little, little bit harder. Well, little we do them different. normally, in yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, exactly at, at tea time um, instead of yeah, cup of tea Maybe or we a coffee. That. But <laughs> I feel like we should we should get back into the into the
0: wine. I agree, wine or at least you know be considerate of their time and keep it tight.
1: I think, you know, sometimes it, it can be easy to open a door or have a conversation, even get in the room and pitch, but it can often be the hardest step of, I guess, the process to close and to help people see what you see or the client see what you see or maybe they don't think that, you know, you see what they see. So it can be really hard sometimes to, yeah, get across the line and win that work. Do you have any tips for that that close, that making sure that you both walk away going, yep, this is a partnership that I'd really like to explore and get the signature on the piece of paper?
0: I think it comes down to the kind of hustling and hassling until you get the answer and I think, you know, Again, I'm coming at this from a perspective probably more from the entrepreneurial and, and like business lens as opposed to creative lens. And I I recognize that I'm probably a bit of a unique beast in the sense that I've got the creative side but also there's the the business side and and the business side of me really comes out obviously when we're trying to close deals and and we're trying to pursue opportunities with clients. I think that and i always say to our team as well just call them just pick up the phone i am allergic to pushing emails around i just think clogging up in- inboxes doesn't really serve anyone so for me it's always about just calling and being you know courteous around you know obviously their time but what else what else is it that we can help them with maybe they haven't come back because they've said that they'll prepare some more information for us but maybe they're actually stuck on something So a lot of the time, a lot of people think, "Oh, you know, you can have one catch up and do a pitch, and and it'll magically just fall into place." And that's so not how it is, you know. That's it's it's really dating, it's courting each other, you know. And I know that you know a lot of people have this approach as well, but takes a few dates and a a few handholds before things actually really happen. So, you know, they need to. Develop their trust with us, and, and we need to better understand what it is that they need. But I think to to fully close it, yeah, every client's incredibly different, and and some are ready to go, you know, after the first date. But a lot of them just really require more calling and and more hand holding, and also just being aware that we do book, you know, three four months in advance. So sometimes, you know, they might think that next week we can shoot. Um, So just a gentle reminder that, you know, I am actually concerned that you want to get this out, you know. Next Friday. Next Friday. (laughs) We better keep talking pretty quickly about how we can make that happen. So, yeah, the time-bound element is often a a piece that gets everyone over the line. We're going to have to have four back-to-back dates. I hope that that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How's between
1: now and 4 p.m. today? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, on that, have you had any absolute wild requests or moments Mm. where you're just like,
0: what did we sign up for? Oh, gosh. Yes, is the answer. I'm trying to think of a few examples. I mean, a lot of the wild requests come out of, again, clients saying, oh, you know, we want something shot tomorrow. And it's like, really? Like, how, how can we pull this together? Somehow we managed to do it. I don't know how. I just think that team know that look in my eyes. like, <laughs> don't, don't back down, just get it done. But look, wild requests. Look, I haven't, you know, there hasn't been any kind of like getting naked or anything crazy like that. <laughs> But, you know, coming close, I guess, you know, hanging out of helicopters, but that's the kind of stuff that we love to do and and that's where you really get the shot. But that's probably more us pushing it than them.
1: Sounds that way. Is anything not translated? Like, you know, obviously everyone has an idea, a crazy idea, and I feel like some translate better on video than others. Has there ever been an instance where something didn't work or you've been able to kind of
0: just flip the script and figure out a new path? Some of the trickiest things for us to really realise in motion are some of the things that I get most excited about. Where there's you know there's fire, there's ice, there's all of these mm-hmm. other elements layering into into the story or into the frame to really create something really different or really creative. I remember we were shooting years ago this TV commercial for the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, and it was specifically for the Romeo and Juliet piece. And you know we had this concept of using the rose as a symbol, but wanting to manipulate it through pouring all of this black paint onto it. So it was this really <laughs> thick, you know, luscious, silky, black, heavy paint. And that was an interesting one. I mean, not not <laughs> not, uh, not uh, to start, we had to, you know, it cost an absolute fortune getting, you know, hundreds of long stem roses because you've only got one take. I was going to say you've got one shot. Yeah. Like, you can't screw you can, it up. Nah. <laughs> one take. So, Yeah, in those instances, there is no reversing. You know, there's no control Z on the paint. Uh, So, so, but then it also requires gallons of paint to pour. The, The concept was pouring this black paint onto the rose, and then there were a few shots too where you know, was a bit of a creative solve where we thought, right, you know, what we're going to do instead of pouring the paint on the rose is actually dunk the rose into the paint and pull it out. Because again, you know, gravity prevails, right? Like the paint was too heavy. The pour was too fast. You've got to think about how you're creating like the actual lever and mechanism to pour the paint because you can't freehand pour it. We're shooting at high speed. So like a thousand frames a second. So it's ultra slow-mo, right? There's all of these factors that go into it. So everything (laughs) needs to be planned to within an inch of its life and often tested too, which look, that's also one of the beautiful things as we've grown, we've got a bigger team, we've got Mm. the luxury to Mm. actually spend time, you know, having, you know, creative days internally and testing ideas. So now we've got this back catalogue of great ideas that we know that work that have been tested. But, yeah, just the the paint, just (laughs) we should have got, you know, a Dulux or someone on board. That was a bit of an Uh, oversight. uh, That would have
1: been a good idea. So that's interesting. So you
2: have creative days internally where you just test different ideas and then like with clients in mind or are these just ideas that you have and then kind of
0: pull from when you land jobs and they work. Look, it's a bit of both. And, you know, I'm sure my team will listen to this and go, we don't do nearly as many as, you know, as we should, which is true because it is really difficult. You know, we're lucky, we're really busy, but we will either approach it with a particular client in mind and, you know, the commercial me goes, yeah, make sure there's a client in mind that we can actually pitch this to because otherwise, you know, ideas for ideas sake. I mean, we're not a bloody charity here. Totally, so. yeah, <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> uh, oftentimes we'll have uh, a client that we might want to to pitch it to, but I just think it's really important to be able to create the space for not only myself, but the rest of the team to really think, to experiment, to prod you know, to try that kind of stuff because, as I said, we've been so lucky that we've been so back-to-back and, and incredibly busy over the last few years, but it also means that it's so hard to carve out that time. And from a commercial point of view, great, we're really busy, but from a creative point of view, you need mm. to really to to build that space to to play and, and to be curious. Caitlin and I talk
2: about this all the time we struggle with it too, you know, the yeah. operational side of running the business, the commercial side versus like literally mm-hmm. creating TV. space to be creative with no
0: outcome. It's really hard. It is. It is really hard. And, and you know, sometimes I get frustrated because I say to the guys, come on, just give me an idea. What do you want to explore? Mm. You know, they're often, some of them have been holding on to ideas that they really want to get out there and other other times they're just like, Oh, give me some sort of framework so I'll kind of mock a brief for them or put a, a client's kind of perspective into the mix and they and can kind of shape it around that. But, yeah, it's really important, I think. What advice would
1: you give to, you know, founders listening that perhaps are doing all the things but really they have a business that requires them to tap into their creativity and express that through whatever it is that they offer?
0: I think as, you know, a co-multi-hat wearer, i.e., you know, another entrepreneur, it's so difficult to find the balance, you know, how do you find the space to be creative, get the bookwork done, do the hustle, all the things, you know, and it kind of, this approach kind of resonates with me with my approach or philosophy around how I balance work and life as well. Think of my energy as like being in a jug, a jug of sorts that you're constantly pouring out. You know, you're pouring this energy and time and thought out into your clients, to your team, to your family. You know, it never stops. It's constantly pouring, pouring, pouring. But the jug doesn't fill itself up on its own. And it's something that you've got to really invest the time into refilling and rejuvenating and making sure that it is constantly topped up. Because when you've poured all your energy out and there's nothing left, not only do you burn out but there's you know no successful outcome for the business either and i think the same applies with creativity as well i think it's so important to create that space to be able to you know whether you're into journaling and writing or whether you're into you know visual media whether it's going to a gallery listening to music you know seeing a performance to actually do it I'm big on just getting things in the diary because otherwise they just never happen. Mm, So even down to like my personal life with seeking inspiration, it's like, you know, from nine till 11, make sure you go to the gallery because I'm going to be really annoyed if, you know, I've set out to actually try to get re-inspired and I just don't make the time or prioritise it to do it. So I think it's really about prioritising those moments for you and to also delve a bit deeper and just understand what makes you tick. Like what do you actually seek inspiration from for what feeds your creativity? Everyone's so different. And I think, you know, from there, You're also in a better place to better articulate what it is that you like, what you don't like and how that might feed into your approach with business as well. So, you know, if you're briefing other creative studios or videographers or or photographers being able to actually, whether you do have a tear sheet or a mood board of references or just have a brief that you can clearly articulate what it is that you want to, you know, what it is that you visually want to bring to life or how you might want to do that. Some great advice. I
2: love that advice around the calendar. I remember reading an article, I think it was like last week, and it said, I can't remember who said it. So this is a really bad reference. I read <laughs> this some article. This is a really great story. His. Yeah. No, but it said, show me your calendar and I'll tell you what you value. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and if all you have in your calendar is, is work, work, that's all you value. That's all you value. Yeah. And sometimes I think we think, oh, I don't need to put exercise in the diary. I don't need to do this, put this in the diary because, you know, mm. I'll get to it. But you're right, if you don't put it in there, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean it's honouring your time, right? Totally. It's It's honouring your time and putting the things in that y- you value, which, yeah, it's probably the calendar is the easiest way to keep track and mm. honour your time. But at the end of the day, it really does come back to where do you want to spend, spend your time. Mm. And, Absolutely. And you have to be really diligent and strict with that because mm. it's so easy to just wish it away and give it to somebody else. Mm. Give the power of your time to someone else.
0: I think the same applies to people and seeking inspiration or gaining inspiration from particular people. I remember when I was probably 17 or 18, my dad sat me down and said to me, now, darling, look at who you're surrounding yourself by because ultimately who you surround yourself with is who you'll become. You know, they are feeding you, inspiring you, they rub off on you. And it's so true. So I think the same applies with being so um, measured or placing priority on on how you spend your time, but also, you know, who you spend, spend it your with. Time with. Yeah. 100%. Yeah.
2: We obviously have a lot of founders listening to this. And I think all of us who have businesses are operating in this like crazily chaotic online environment. It's so competitive. It's really hard to sort of get cut through. A lot of us are trying to figure out how to weave video content into our content and marketing strategy. What advice do you have for business owners, small business owners, large business owners about how to get the most out of video and how they should be using it?
0: Well, firstly, call us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Our number Great. is One yeah. 800 <laughs> <1-800-SYRAP. Yeah. laughs> You'll have to go get that now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Look, I think first and foremost, having an idea of what the content's role is there are so many people that come to us and say oh we know we need to be doing video content or we want to create a video but we kind of uh, the first question i say to them is well what's it, what's it doing what are we communicating here what's its objective because i'm also a big believer in maximizing roi for our clients as well and ensuring that we're hitting kpis for them so ensuring that the the video is actually performing in the way that they need it to so firstly understanding yeah, what is it that we're communicating? What role does a video play? And then really understanding too the budget thing I think is often often a bit of a bugbear for for us and I know for a lot of creatives because you know there are a lot of client memes out there I know but oftentimes you'll say to the client, also do you have a budget in mind, any sort of parameter? And they'll say, No, 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 just quote it up. And so we'll quote it up, oh no, no, no. That's you know, that's way off the mark. So I think that's really like being up front, we're really transparent. I really want to know from the outset, what sort of scope of investment are we looking at? Because it really does define what we can do creatively and and what we can realize together. So that's another big one. And then also I think Speaking to the right people, and I know I'm probably coming from a biased point of view here, but actually doing your research to to look at the work um, of different creative studios or videographers or photographers and actually connecting with the work that they've produced to date. We're quite unique in that we um, have quite a diver- diverse folio and, and diverse range of clients as well. So we work across lot- lots of different categories, but not a lot of photographers or creatives do. A lot of them specialize in one particular thing. So don't expect to go to a photographer who's an incredible interiors or architecture photographer and expect them to be incredibly amazing at shooting product or shooting, you know, still life moments in studio. So I think doing your research and understanding the handwriting of the studio or the creative that you're actually looking to talk to, don't expect them to waver too much from that, I think is also a really good, good starting point. And also deadlines. Tell us when this needs to be live so we can at least work backwards or tell you from the outset if we can or can't commit to it. I think it's really important too. So from a performance perspective, you said, you know, setting
2: KPIs and really understanding how the video performs for a client. Can you give us an example of how you think about that? Like what are the sorts of KPIs that your clients set?
1: What are you measuring?
0: Yeah, what are sure. you measuring? So it might be things like, you know, 12 time. It might be things like the views as well, the number of views. We're exploring the world of interactive video, which I'm really excited about. Um, we're actually a partner of Voodoo. It's an interactive video platform and they're Australian-based, actually Melbourne-based, which is great because I love supporting locals. But that platform and, and that technology allows incredible measurement across the interactive pulse points and the way in which the audience has interacted with being able to make decisions. So, with that kind of technology, you can actually integrate like a choose-your-own-adventure style. Mm. So they can almost dictate the the narrative that they watch and view. But also, you know, as a business, as a company, you can really start to collect really invaluable data around their decision-making and what really drives them. So a really kind of basic example of the interactive piece might also be the number of click-throughs from the end of the video to the product page. Yep. Yeah. Um, really simple stuff. You can measure elements of that too um, with non-interactive video. If the video is integrated into a a page or a platform that might be an e-commerce platform. So, you know, we can measure um, the correlation between, you know, views and also um, purchases as well. So what have you discovered
1: about yourself that you're really good at since you started the business back when you were 24?
0: I think there are two things. I think Building and managing a team is one, particularly in a creative environment. And then the second one is creating structure in what is typically a fairly unstructured and loose world, which is the world of creativity. Can you expand on the second one? Because I think that
2: is something that is really challenging for creatives and people who are running creative businesses about you know, how, do, how do you build um, a structured framework around an open creative
0: space environment absolutely and look at something that has taken years to really finesse and and also really understand as well and really fine tune the best way to to approach it i think the way in which i uh, approach business now and and particularly look at our studio is that you know it really needs to function like a high performing advertising agency or even architecture studio I established a long time ago that I wanted to build a team and I didn't want me to be the only one, you know, directing, shooting, that I wanted to be able to create a sense of growth and structure around that. But within that, the day to day is a thing that we find so challenging because shoots are constantly changing with the weather, new briefs come in, clients want everything yesterday. Like, our days change so much and so so frequently. So one of the things that we've implemented are hard and fast, we call them PSPs, it's a production state of play. So every Monday at 10am, myself and the production team get together and we, it's like a whip. We basically go through every single job where it's at an action points for the next piece, but we're brutal on that. And the you know, the document has to be updated by nine o'clock, so an hour before, and then there needs to be a window of 45 minutes afterwards where everyone executes those action points. I don't want to see loose ends. Like let's just keep the, you know, put the, the pedal to the metal, metal to the pedal, whatever. Let's just do it, you know, get it done. This morning, we actually had a team huddle, which we're introducing every fortnight. It may may roll out to every three weeks, but in our world, it is so difficult to get, you know, all 13 of us in a room at once. It just doesn't happen. You know, we we often have uh, different crews out on set on the same day, you know, different shoots. It's all pretty manic, actually. So I said, right, we have to get face-to-face time. This is ridiculous. The only time I can see that we can do it is early in the morning. I know no one's going to be really happy about that. So, you know, we got breakfast catered and we all sat down. I did a presentation at eight o'clock this morning. I got, our managing producer to timekeep. I put, you know, time windows against every piece in the agenda because I know that it can blow out. And we really stuck to that, but we covered a lot of really important ground in that, you know, looking forward to work into the next quarter, celebrating our wins from the quarter just gone, and also just team updates and stuff like that. So that's also a really important piece of the puzzle. And then, you know, it kind of goes even further from there into nitty gritty things like KPI dashboards for the team, which is probably more of a, a bit more of a hardcore business function. You know, I think as even a really good stepping stone is what we we're talking about earlier, prioritizing your time and just getting the blocks of time In the diary, whether it's and I I do this even with my producers, I say, I want to see a dedicated window for our edit team when they're just making selects on the footage. Don't just put it down as like a full day of editing for this person on this project. Like let's break it down. It sounds really control freaky, but now that we've gotten to the size that we have and we've got, you know, so many projects that come through the door, you really need to be accountable for everyone's time and understand what's getting done and also what's realistic, you know? is that achievable in that window or does that need to be pushed out? Same applies to actually carving out the time to be creative and actually like step away from the phone, step away from the computers. You know, we also um, do these team visits to galleries and and do lunch, team lunch after that. So we've got one in the diary for, you know, four weeks' time where we're going to Acme and, you know, it's those things that I think are really important. (laughs) Yeah, I'll meet you there. see you there. (laughs) But yeah, I think just having those kind of windows of structure really create, um, you know, create a bit of calm amongst the chaosities. You know, the mm. creative world. Mm, absolutely. You sound like you sound like a
1: fair, firm manager. What makes you a good team leader? You said that one of that was a lesson that you learned um, managing people, managing teams. What makes you a good good leader, or a good manager?
0: I think just be a good human. Like I I say to my team often you know, yes, we need to get this done. Yes, you know, you've got to be accountable X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, like we're only human, you know, we can only do so much. I think having empathy is really important. And also just understanding that everyone has their shit. Like everyone's got their stuff outside of work that they're, you know, having to try not to bring into the workplace or try not to carry with them all day, every day. And I get that. And I don't expect them to come in and be robots and, you know, just get completely head down and, you know, not actually feel. Like feeling's a big part of our world as well, like connecting with people and and actually like sense checking the room or feeling, you know, feeling how comfortable someone is when you're interviewing them about a topic that might be, you know, quite uncomfortable for them or, or controversial. So, I think just leaning into that and also celebrating that and going, right, especially expect you to come in here and work hard and, and get the job done. But at the same time, I want you to feel comfortable coming to me and telling me if you're not feeling okay or being okay with not always feeling like you have to be the perfect human because we just aren't. It's not how we work. <laughs>
2: Wow, there was a lot of gold in that chat. One of the lines that I absolutely loved
1: was when Paris said, I am allergic to pushing emails around. Oh, my God, it's so true. I mean, you can waste so much time sending emails back and forth. And, you know, she really stressed the importance of just picking up the phone and having a conversation. And I really do believe that's a great way to build a relationship and also get to the bottom of maybe any problems that could be arising in the relationship or just get really a great way to close the deal. 100%. You're a fan of the phone. I'm a huge fan of the phone. Oh my God. When I see a line of 52 emails back and forth, I'm like, help. Definitely pick up the phone. The second really great lesson that I took away was hassle and hustle until the doors open. Love this one. Me too. And I think we always
2: hear from people that you can't give up. Mm. You know, you've always got to continue to reach out, to knock on the door, to send an email, to get on the phone. But I think what I loved about that lesson was like, there's always a way through. It might not be the direct way, but there might be someone who can introduce you to someone else that can get you to your end point. So,
1: hassle And hustle. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. Same. And I think, you know, be tenacious. I think Mm. sometimes, you know, we do stand back and we're afraid to kind of rock the boat a little or make people feel uncomfortable. But hustling is okay. As long as you're kind and you're, you know, you're doing it in a way that aligns to your values. But I do believe find that tenacity within and go out there, keep hustling and keep hustling. Love it. The last line that I absolutely loved was when she said,
2: understand a creative's handwriting. Mm. It was just such an elegant way of saying everybody's creative is different. The way that people get inspiration for their creativity is different. Mm-hmm. The way that people express their creativity is different. For some people, it's painting, video, writing, singing, like whatever Correct. it is. It's different. And so- when you're working with creatives in a business sense, really try and understand.
1: Their blueprint. And yeah, Mm.
2: how they express themselves in their their handwriting.
1: Yeah, and I think what it will help you avoid is falling into the trap of misaligned um, expectations. Mm. So if you really do understand the person that you're working with and and the work that they're going to be doing for you, when you finally reach the end point, you're gonna be so much more happy about it because you know exactly what you've agreed to. 100%, love that. Thank you so much for listening. Come over to Instagram, lady.brains. Follow along and see all the behind the scenes video footage of us in studio with Paris.